Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. I am so glad to have you here as we continue on our prayer series. I think we've got, we've got maybe three more lessons, okay? And then we'll do a new series. But I've really enjoyed going through this with all of you. And um, I, I hope that uh, you've, I hope not only have you enjoyed it, but I also hope that maybe your, your prayer life has changed or grown or strengthened a little bit also. One of my biggest strengths and also one of my biggest flaws is that I am someone who prepares for the worst. I don't, assume, I don't assume the worst will happen, but I mentally prepare for it. So that's very helpful for me when I was in school. Very rarely did a test, was it harder than I expected? Does that make sense? I had a lot, I'd have a lot of classmates that were like, man, that was tough. I didn't expect that. I'd be like, man, not me. I prepared as if every single inch of that textbook was gonna be in the test. And so guess what? That meant I was a good student. Or with athletics, I remember the worst day in athletics was the conditioning day. Y'all, conditioning day is not a great day, right? But I assumed every day was conditioning day. So whenever it was and everyone else was like, ugh, I was like, well, saw it coming. And then when it wasn't, it was the best practice of the week. I was just chipper the whole time. Why are you so happy? Well, we're not conditioning today. You know, I was thrilled. And I think um, as someone who's like that, if you can relate to me, I am someone who basically especially in high school, I had the philosophy of, I'm going to set the expectations very low so that if it turns out that reality is pretty low, I'm okay, I'm not disappointed. But if it's even above that, I'm thrilled, I'm ecstatic. So there, you can tell there would be times where Catherine is like, man, it's not gonna be that bad. And I'm like, I don't think it will be, but I'm preparing for it to be that bad. Now, however, I am ashamed to say that often, and I think some of you may relate to me in this, I am ashamed to say that often I can approach prayer the same way, with very low expectations, so that my heart is ready and I can be prepared not to be disappointed whenever my prayers aren't answered. Do any of y'all relate to that? So, with that in mind, let's read a story about that very subject. And if you're like me, I want you to be very prepared to be comforted and prepared to be challenged as we read this story. I have spoken about this text before in a different setting, but I have not spoken about it here. So for those of you who this might sound familiar, it probably is. And for some of you, this may be the first time you've heard me discuss this passage. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 12, verses 1 through 17. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, and this is helping my, my uh, poll rating, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Okay. Before I keep going, you should have some storytelling notes going off in your head. Because if you remember, what happened around Passover last Sunday that we talked about? Last Sunday was Easter. Do you all remember what happened around the Passover? 
Jesus and his disciples, they met, had the Passover meal together. And then what? He's crucified, right? So all of the early church who's reading this or who was living this is thinking, here we go again. The leader of our movement, Jesus, last time Passover came around, bad things happened. And look where we are again. Passover's coming back around and our leader, Peter, is in jail and Herod's going to kill him. Let's keep reading. So keep all that in mind. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bounded with two chains. Sixteen soldiers, lots of chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. Catherine would be furious if I did that. Hey, it's time to get up. Turn on all the lights, smack her on the side. Um, And he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. I think think all these details are partially to be funny. Um, This isn't just like a, this isn't some kind of stealth operation where he's like, all right, shh, don't say anything. Let's go. You don't have time to get your cloak. Let's go. It's lights are shining. Get up. Put on your clothes. Oh, take your time. Put on your clothes. No, no, no. Get dressed. Come on. And so he's, there's no, there's no covert SWAT team that's doing this. And so Peter follows him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thinks he's dreaming. He doesn't think this is actually going on. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt. So now somehow he's woken up. Maybe uh, he's gotten to the point now where he's like, Wait, this, this is real. I'm, I'm out here. Uh, he comes to himself, and now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on, at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. And she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. You, well, listen, you're out of your mind. And like, seriously, I promise, I heard his voice. And then they're thinking, okay, I guess he's, I guess he's dead and this is his angel or something that's come back to see us. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. I just love that detail. It's just great storytelling. You can just picture that someone, act, you know, a, a witness is telling Luke about this and is saying like, and then he was like, hey, shh, shh, you know, I just broke out of jail. Don't start shouting and waking people up. Like, shh, keep it down. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I, I, would, I would imagine if I were one of those people and I saw him, I'd be like, Peter, you know, I'd be screaming, shouting, and I'm just picturing like, I did, settle down. They might come and get me. And so he tells, he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. In the morning, 
there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough, that's an understatement. After Herod had had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So uh, I know I don't like that gruesome detail, but part of why I include that in there is uh, it just shows the severity of uh, this was you just lost the prize prisoner. And uh, all of them, obviously, there would be a huge commotion because they know they're all about to about to lose their life, probably at least lose their job, maybe more. Uh, So I have. Uh, some things from this story that I want to talk about. And first, I think before we talk just about prayer, which we're going to, I want to talk about something that's a bigger part of this story that, that leads into our prayer talk. It's something that Luke is doing in this passage. And we need to see, Luke wants us to see, and the readers to see, that all of the odds are stacked against the church. And how all of the odds basically just fall out of the way whenever God wants to do something. Herod's family has been a problem for Jesus and for the church all along, if you read Luke and Acts. In Matthew 2, Herod murders all the male children trying to get to Jesus. Herod kills John the Baptist. Herod Antipas in Luke is the one that crucifies Jesus. And now Herod Agrippa wants to kill Peter, the leader of this new movement of Jesus. So Herod's been a problem all along. And every time we think, oh, no, Herod's going to win, the world is going to win, something happens where it doesn't. With Jesus and with the crucifixion, it didn't. Now with Peter and with this, it didn't. If you keep reading the story, if you thought that the guards getting executed is gruesome, read a little bit further in Acts 12 at the very end. And it talks about how Herod Agrippa says something and doesn't give credit to God. And it says that he is struck down dead and, and worms eat him, if you want to keep reading that in Acts And so you're supposed to see this parallel. You're supposed to see all the odds are stacked against God's people, against God's church, against God's Messiah, and God still gets his way. And the world has all of the advantage, has all of the, oh, yeah, we've got 16 guards. We've got all these chains. We're going to be good. And at the end of the day, their leader, not Peter, is the one that's getting eaten by worms, okay? That's something that Luke is trying to show you. He's trying to show you that while these odds are are stacked up against them, and it looks like the kingdom of the world is going to win, the leader of God's kingdom is looks like is going to be killed. Actually, he's the one that's set free, and the leader of the world, of the Jews, of this area, he's the one that dies of worms. God comes and he intervenes with his action to continue to build his church. There's a line at the end of 12 that we didn't read, but it's, it's said three times in, in Acts where it says, and the kingdom of God continued to grow and flourish. Y'all can look it up in your Bibles, but something where he says, and the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Just this, all the odds are stacked against you, but guess what? It kept flourishing. Now, in my studying for this lesson, I'd never heard this story before, but I read about it in a commentary this week. I wanted to share it with you. I wanted to share a story of a guy, this guy, named Sundar Singh, okay? This guy has a very unique, miraculous conversion story. He was born in India in a time where Christianity was very not allowed. And he, uh, anyway, he was converted to Christianity. I think the story goes something along the lines of he, uh, he laid himself down on a train track um, and he said, whatever God is out there, come Tell me. And he saw a vision of Jesus. And Jesus told him to get off the train track. 
And he got up and he dedicated his life to becoming a missionary. So he was a missionary in India. And the story goes that he was preaching and the Tibetan leader, I think they're called the Lama. I know that may sound weird, but like the leader of the area, the Lama has him thrown into this dry well where they throw people. And he's thrown into this well. There's rotting corpses and bones all around him because this is where they put people. And he's praying to God. And on the third night, as he's calling out into prayer, he hears someone unlocking the well above him. And he sees this rope that comes down. And the story goes that he's really grateful. The the bottom of the rope has a a circle on it uh, because he had hurt his arm when he fell. And so he was able to put his foot in there and he's pulled up. And whenever he gets up out of the well, after he's drawn up, the cover is replaced and locked. And when he looks around, he didn't see anyone there. When morning came, he went back to the place where he was arrested, arrested, and he began to preach again. And the news gets back to the chief of the area, and he's brought, Sundar is brought before him and questioned, and he shares the story. And the, the leader declares that someone must have stolen the key and unlocked him and let him out. And when the search was made for the key, the key was found in the leader's own room. Okay. Now, you and I, if you're like me, you read that story and go, I don't know about that. But this is something we have to get used to if we're going to be people that follow Jesus and read the Bible. The number of times something goes, I don't know about that. That seems crazy. And yet God is able to still do these kinds of things. Okay, here's the thing I want to end with this point about against all odds. Here's how I want to end this. Do you ever find yourself in your prayer life thinking all of the odds are stacked against this happening? I do. Do you ever find yourself Maybe it's not guards, maybe it's not chains, but it is, there's just, there's just 16 guards. There's no way I'm getting out of here. There's just all these chains. There's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this. And yet, and here's my second point, the second thing I want you to see today is that there is something relatable to me about this idea of it seems like all the odds are stacked against me, and this doesn't seem very realistic, and yet God is still able to move. And so here is something I really love from this passage. It's probably why I like it so much is that I am not the only person that sometimes when I see the odds stacked so big, I think I doubt anything is going to happen because the Christians in this story just did the exact same thing as me. If you remember when we were reading, we are told Peter is in prison and the church is earnestly praying to God for him. And yet when God... When Peter is at the door knocking, their first reaction is, this can't actually be him because they didn't actually think their prayers were going to get answered. Are you with me? Their response was not, praise God, that worked fast. Thank you. Their answer was, it can't be. How many times did Jesus tell his followers, I'm going to show you a sign. I'm going to die. I'm going to destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to show you the sign of Jonah. I will go down into the depths, and after three days, I will rise. And whenever he died, don't you think his disciples would be sitting there on day three going, here we go. He told us he was going to rise, but where are they? And where does their reaction when he shows up? Thomas is like, I don't believe it. But he was telling them. And so here's a great quote from N.T. Wright. I love it. N.T. Wright says, I find this story strangely comforting. Luke is always there is allowing us to see the early church for a moment, not as a bunch of great heroes and heroines of the faith. 
but as the same kind of muddled, half-believing, faith one minute and doubt the next sort of people as most Christians we all know. Isn't that good? That is a good line. Because these, we often think like, well, those first century Christians, they were superheroes. And here they are praying earnestly. And when the prayer is answered, they think, I doubt it. That doesn't seem like that actually was going to happen. What? I didn't actually think this would happen. No way. And I, I am so comforted by this. So now I'm going to wrap up with two comforts and a challenge. Okay. Comfort number one. God answers our prayers even when our faith is too small to think it would happen. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. If you have ever lived in your life thinking, well, my faith has to be strong enough in order for this prayer to get answered. What about these people? Their faith didn't seem all that strong. And guess what? God didn't just answer it. He blew the doors off of it. You know what I mean? And so the first comfort I have for you is that I am so thankful that we serve a God who is able to answer our prayers even when my faith is too small to think that anything will actually happen. Comfort number two, no matter what the odds are, God's kingdom is going to do what he wants it to do. No matter what the odds are, God's kingdom is going to do what he wants it to do. I found the line, I put it down from Acts 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And here's something I want to ask you. I want you to think about. How many of you feel like when you're trying to live your life as a Christian, really live your life as a Christian, you feel like the world is stacked against you? Anybody feel that way? You're trying to raise your children to follow God. Anybody feel like the world's stacked against you? Guess what? God is really comfortable there and he can do whatever he wants. I almost said whatever, more emphatically, whatever he wants, okay? He can do it because no matter what the odds are, God's will and his kingdom is going to progress how he wants it to progress. All right, and here's the challenge, and then we'll be done. I was, man, I was about to, okay. Here's the challenge. I think part of why I keep my expectations low is because I don't want to be disappointed with God. I don't want God to look bad. Whenever I think I'm praying for something good and he doesn't see it through. And so I set my expectations low. But if I set really low expectations all the time in my prayers, yes, I'm never going to be disappointed. But I'm also maybe going to be the people that when God is answering my prayer, knocking at the door, I don't see it. How many times in my life has God come and said, I'm answering your prayers. And I've said, No, that can't be. There's no way. And I missed it because I didn't have someone going, no, seriously, he's at the door answering your prayer. I want us, here's my challenge. I want us to be the type of people who set high expectations of what God can and will do through our prayers so that we do not miss the knocking at the door. As Ephesians says, he is able to do more than we hope or imagine. If any of you have any prayer requests, anything that maybe you've set really low expectations and said, well, I've never brought that up because there's no way that could get answered. We're going to have an opportunity for you right now. Elders are going to be standing at the doors. If any of you have anything that you want to say, you know what? I feel like the odds are stacked against me, but I guess I'll trust you that God can find a way. If any of you would like to talk about that, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and sing this song.